Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life business and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session, also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website is lifecoachdenamzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our first episode of season five, a very special guest, Jim Case. Now, just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Jim, the floor <laughs> is yours, my friend. Uh, good morning, Dr. Dan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jim, and um, I am I do a number of things now. I'm currently an, I'm an author of Fears of Choice, Unraveling the Illusion of Our Separation from Love. Um, I also host a show called The Adventures in Truth, which is all based on a foundation of looking at the things that we consider truths in our experience, particularly as as it relates to fear and and how to perceive and how to look at these things from a very different perspective so that you you begin to understand the whole concept of why fear is a choice and how that works in our world. And then I also have a program called the Science of Transformation, which is about helping people to transform their fear-based experience into an opportunity-based experience through uh, actually, a, a lot of exercises, and it, it's a, it's a, it can be a, a five month long program. It can be a one session program. It depends on how you how you choose to approach it. But what brought me to all of this? What has brought? What has sort of solidified this this foundation of of, of my message has come from actually fifty seven years of pretty amazing life. That life, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And um, probably the first major, major confrontation I had in my world about uh, confronting my happiness was my sexuality. Um, I came out very early in my life. Um, I was a sophomore in high school when it came together for me that that was what was going on. Um, I, had, I had been exploring, I think, since I was a kid, believe it or not. And, 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 and that speaks more to me of that whole idea of this is not something that you decide to wake up one day and there you go. Um, this has been an evolution in my life. Um, and, and so coming from that place of, of coming out in high school, um, I, was, I was in a very interesting place because I was also a bit of a rebel because I so wanted to get out in the world and, and kind of touch and taste and feel and get into what was going on, especially because of what I was experiencing in my own life about who I was. That led to uh, a moment um, in in my life where uh, I had been <laughs> I had been sleeping out of my parents' house at night to go out and corrals and and um, the good news was I was good at, I was good at it the bad news I was only sixteen years old so <laughs> it caused a little stress for my parents needless to say imagine <laughs> yeah. but that led to uh, a night uh, I had borrowed unquote my parents' car and uh, gone out and, and come home. It was around 1.30 in the morning. And uh, this particular night, my mom knew something was up. She didn't know how I was getting out of the house. She decided to find out. So she discovered I was gone and not, I had a key to the house, but she locked all the screen doors as well so that I would have to knock to get in the house. <laughs> and uh, so I stood outside the house for about 15 minutes contemplating. Um, this is one of those major turning points in my life. And, and it was that point that I said, 
yeah, that's not the life I want. I, I'm not going to knock on the door. I'm not going to go through all that hoopla and bullshit to try to assuage them of something that I, I don't quite completely understand. They certainly don't understand based on me because my dad beat me up when he found out I was gay. And, and uh, uh, that was a whole other interesting story in of itself. But um, so that led to um, me leaving the house and, and moving and leaving my parents home. Um, and I did, I walked away and never went back. Um, I walked literally five miles to the nearest town. It sounds like it's out of some, you know, some story that you make <laughs> up from your grandparents. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm that age already. Come on, don't go there. But anyway, so, so I walked to town that became a whole adventure unto itself. Um, stayed with friends, then stayed with another friend, um, ended up not being able to finish high school because I'd gotten sick. Uh, I'd gotten a uh, uh, strep throat and, and um, I was being treated for that. I went back to school the day I went back to school. The school said, sorry, without a note from your parents, you can't come back to school. Oh. I don't live at home. What do I do now? Well, we're sorry. You're going to have to get a note from your parents. I said, you're kidding me. You're telling me I'm, I, I'm here. I want to be at school. And you're telling me I can't come because I don't have a note from my parents who I don't live with. So, um, so that led to, you know, obviously a, a huge evolution in my life. I was on my own at 16 and, and, and running my life and doing my thing. Um, I decided that, um, and, and had for a long time, I wanted to be an actor in New York. That was my dream forever. I wanted to work with Steven Spielberg. I wanted, you know, all, all the things the young 80s kids wanted to do, I think. And I met a husband and wife coaching team. Well, she was the coach and he was the support system. She lived in New York. I waited on them when I was working on a restaurant, working in a restaurant in Lambertville, New Jersey. And um, she invited me to audition. I went to audition, um, lived in New York for about a year and a half, um, while I was there, realized that acting wasn't my thing. I didn't have the skin for it. Um, at, while I was living in New York, I met the woman who I would end up marrying, um, uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, New York was an amazing experience. It, 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 uh, at the end of the time of New York, I had gone on a brown rice diet. And the brown rice diet was all the rage at that time. I wanted to lose a little weight. I wanted to look better. And I thought I was doing great. I was getting cheekbones. I thought I was looking great. And Mona, the woman who I was talking about, who became my wife later, um, had come to New Jersey to, she was a teacher and, and um, uh, did seminars and things. And she came to town and stayed with me while, because I had met her a couple of years ago um, through a friend of mine, stayed with me while they were in New York doing their thing. And um, it was during that time that I also realized that I was not going to do this whole acting thing and trying to figure out what I was going to do. So I went to a kind of a dark period of I don't know where I'm going from here. And they decided to sit down. This was in April. I don't remember the year because it all blurs after a while. But so I wrote this letter to God. I did a dear God letter in frustration because acting for me at that point had been the only thing I had considered as far as what I thought I was going to do in my life. So no plan B. And yeah, no plan B. Um, uh, who has a plan B at 16? I don't know. Maybe there's lots to do, but I, <laughs> I wasn't one of them. <laughs> so um uh, wrote that letter. Um, and at the end of the letter, you know, the whole letter was kind of, wah, wah, poor me, wah, you know, my life sucks and what am I going to do? And, and then at the end of the letter, it sort of all came together. And I said, okay, God, I don't know what's going on here, but whatever is going on, just do something with me, please. Here, you, you can have my life. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you send me. I don't care where I go. Just please do something because I cannot live like this anymore. Um, 22 hours later, 
I got a call from Mona completely out of the blue. She had been to visit me the, a few, this was about two or three months before this happened. So that, that kind of stimulated, I think this whole change for me, but anyway, she, she reached out, I had, I had not spoken to her, but she called me to ask me if I would be interested in moving to Arizona to help her open a natural healing center that was opening there. Um, and I was going to be in a role of assisting some of the therapy people who were going to be going there and helping with their kids and that kind of stuff. Um, bear in mind also, I didn't share this, but she absolutely did not like me at all. Um, I was an arrogant, arrogant, arrogant kid. And I would call her um, after I had met her, I met her years before, and I would call her to talk to her and ask her some questions, try to get some guidance about things. And, and if she didn't call me back, I would call her 17 times. I would call her and call her and call her and call her. And call her. So she was just like, oh, no, it was complete arrogance. It was, there was no, you know, I would be like, come on, I called you. Why haven't you called me back? I've been trying to reach you, but, you know, in any case. So um, I freaked out on the phone when she asked me about this, because obviously I was not anticipating it. Um, but I had just written the Dear God letter that said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and here she was. And I said, oh, my goodness. So I thought, so I said to her, yes, I'm coming. It'll probably take me a month or two to get my crap together, but I'll be there. If I remember correctly, that phone call happened on a Thursday. On the following Tuesday, I was on a plane to, to Arizona. I think I had five things I had to handle before I could leave. Um, you know, all that 17-year-old angst, I think, and I had all these important things, and I had like, literally nothing. <laughs> so, uh, and meanwhile, I brought up the brown rice diet because it becomes significant to the next stage, which is that when I got off the plane in Arizona, Mona hadn't seen me in about four months. And I had gone from my usual 165, 170 pound weight to 109. Um, I was uh, ill to a degree that I had no idea. Um, I thought I looked great. <laughs> and she, she, talk about what ego can do. Talk about what ego can do for you. Because <laughs> when I saw pictures of me later, I went, you look like a concentration camp victim. Who are you kidding? I mean, I was just bone skin and not much else. Wow. Um, that was my first physical, real physical crazy. That was, uh, that was, uh, about what, uh, what was called cryptosporidium. It's still around. It's a parasite. It was eating me from the inside out. Um, don't know what caused it. Don't know where it came from, but that started a, a major healing journey. Um, fortunately I was at a healing center, which is where I moved to in Arizona. Um, so I spent the next year really focused into my own healing process. And that was, uh, a whole process about relearning aliveness. And um, I ended up becoming the director of aliveness for the center um, because my commitment to understanding that reality of aliveness was just became all of who I was. I was doing physical therapy. I was doing massage. I was taking guys. The center itself was a, was a natural healing center. We worked with allopathic medicine, um, but we worked with people who had everything from lupus to cancer to AIDS to and this is when AIDS was first coming in and blowing up all over the, all over the planet. Um, uh, MS, uh, we, we worked with every kind of different disease with a combination of an, a, a six week program, six weeks to three months, depending, but it was a very intensive program of a combination of natural therapies, working with the physical and emotional and spiritual aspects, and then also having a doctor on hand to handle um, the physicality we've had, we had tremendous success, but at that time in the early nineties was not a good time to try to be doing anything natural. Um, the FDA, the ADA, everybody was down our throats about everything. And that's when they were also trying to, uh, legal, uh, take away, uh, herbs 
and make them illegal um, and all that whole process. But we had tremendous success. I still have friends who I worked with at the center who are alive and thriving today because of it. People who have AIDS, people with MS, a dear friend who has MS lives in Arizona, ended up getting married and having three kids and living an amazing life. Um, had been bedridden for six months before we met him. Um, so the, the, a lot of a lot of success there, a lot of growth there. For me, the growth started in my own process, but then evolved because then it became all about service and all about connecting to these people who are going through their own process, which became an intimate process for me because the arrogance that I talked about earlier didn't go away just because I got sick. <laughs> it, it, it took a lot of two by fours and a lot of, uh, a lot of universal clubs to knock that crap out of me. Um, but uh, so that, that I spent the seven years we were there before we shut the center down. Um, and, and then my process continued, you know, continued. I went through life as, you know, doing life stuff. And then in 09, uh, I realized that I had for the past, for the past three or four years in the marriage was really a struggle. Um, in the beginning, we were creating all kinds of amazing things. Um, that choice, and that's another p- whole piece of this that I didn't even get into. So Mona and I, over time, um, became very, very deeply connected. Um, she was an amazing woman. She was 21 years older than me. Um, and we just developed this very deep bond and this very deep relationship. And I knew, based on what a crazy person I had been from the day I came out, that if I didn't change course, some I wasn't going to make it to 30. That was just an absolute clarity in my life that I knew that if I didn't change something, I was not going to make it to 30. Mona and our relationship evolved. Um, it was largely about the center. We were, we were a regular couple in that, um, you know, we, we had sex. We were, we were married. Um, the sex was a struggle for me because I was never not gay. <laughs> it was, and it was never a, it was never a choice about not being gay. It was about changing course changing trajectory in my life if that makes sense so was it like so do you feel you were like bisexual versus completely gay because it's a bit confusing as you mentioned yeah you came out go of ahead COVID, but yet you still married a woman so i'm just a bit confused how it must have been very confusing in your mind but how did you transition and understanding that that was just a, a stepping stone for something different in your life honestly i think initially fear um, I think fear was a, a big motivator and, and, and the motivation was because again, I, I had been, and, and, and to be perfectly clear, I was, I was a whore. I was, I was, I was out to have as much fun as I could have and sleep with as much. I mean, I had a conversation with a dear friend a few years back about partners. And when we started talking about the conversation with partners, she started talking about a time frame, And when she talked about that time frame her number and my number were so vastly different. Um, her number was single digit. My number was triple digits. Which, um, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and not only for that time frame, but as we went forward, she had slept with like four people in her entire life and she was 65 years old. I slept with four people last Tuesday. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> I didn't literally, but I, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it, the yeah, comparison no. was sort of goofy. Um, so understanding logically and knowing what I had gone through with parasites and watching these guys who had come with AIDS that we were working with, I knew I had to do something. And things the, the relationship with Mona and I was evolving naturally. We were just becoming closer because 
we were a support system to each other that we didn't even realize that we needed because she was running the center. She was the pinnacle of this. She was writing books and she was doing all of these things. And I was sort of the battery that was sort of holding all that energy in place and helping to support all of that. And so the decision to get married um, was, was a, for lack of a better word, I hate to use this word, but it was a technical one, but not really because we were emotionally connected. Yes, I was still dealing with my sexuality. She was aware of it. She knew my history. We went into it both knowing what was going on. Okay. So I had to negotiate ways to get six or sexually stimulated because I wasn't sexually stimulated, sexually connected to her in that way. But over time, you know, we were able to do what we were able to do. Um, we made our agreements and such, and, and we continued to work through all of these various levels of stuff. There was never a point that we were trying to to heal the gay, as it were. We were trying to deal with all the other issues, the arrogance and the craziness of, of this, this person who needed to, to really radically change from the inside out. So uh, we were married for 24 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, she, um, the, like I said, the last four years were a little rough um, because we had gone from a place where we were creating amazing things in our world to where we had turned kind of on each other and it was not going well. And uh, in January of 09, um, or excuse me, in February of 09, I was diagnosed with anal cancer. And um, uh, two weeks before that, unbeknownst to me, because I, I had been dealing with the, 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 what was going on with the anal cancer from like October all the way through February before I got to, to the doctor that finally went, yeah, no, this is not good. Um, and had decided a few weeks before that to end the marriage. Um, we had gotten to a point where it just wasn't working um, at all. Um, and, and I had gotten a voicemail from her that was just horrendous. And I thought, why am I doing this? What are you doing? What? You're not being authentic anymore. You're not, you know, you're not doing uh, anything that's aligning with who you say you are. And you feel this conflict with, with your homosexuality because it's now coming full force, like full circle um, because of the deterioration in the relationship with Mona you know, it just let those things start to kind of grow and evolve again. And I thought, you know what, I've never been a healthy sex. I've never been a healthy homosexual man in my life. I, I think it's time for me to explore that because I, I turned it off when I was, you know, 19 years old. Um, and so, uh, so went home that night and sat down and, and, and the challenge of, of being authentic in those processes for, I found over time was it finally being able to say, yeah, no, it's not about me anymore. It's not about me anymore. Yeah, we've, we, it's been about me for a long time because we've been trying to break down all these old habits, but that's not the case anymore. And we are no longer in alignment. We are no longer talking the same language. We are no longer enjoying our company. Mm -hmm. So that led to, um, that led to, the, to the divorce, the, the, the cancer. I went into treatment for three months, command of that in June 1st. On June 1st, my boss who, by the way, also had cancer, had colon cancer the entire time I was sick, fired me. <laughs> and he was still wearing his portable pouch for his character. Oh, his... <laughs> that is nuts. Is that not just the craziest? It is. And then, and then a month later, about two months later, then um, I, had, uh, I was going to lose my house. This, this was in 08, 09, when the, when the financial thing to all crashed around. So um, literally, I was like that bad country song, literally. I mean, I lost my relationship, I lost my job, I lost my house, I lost, you know, all of that stuff. And then, uh, and um, 
in the meantime, I was I was traveling because I was working for a company where I was traveling from. I was living in Arizona at the time, but I was had had become an area manager for a company. Was traveling between uh, San Diego and Las Vegas, and while I was in San Diego, it, when it came to January '09, I was back in Phoenix. But prior to that, my stores were were there. So, one of my managers um, in San Diego, uh, when I went back to San Diego after the fact, uh, I would gone uh, over the July Fourth weekend. I went to see my family, um, and while I was there. Uh, I was at my mom's and I was asleep the Monday after July 4th weekend and I'm laying in bed and I hear in my head, go see Michael. And Michael happened to be one of my managers. He was a gay manager. Nothing ever happened when we were, when, when I was living there, but he was somebody that in my mind's eye was like, I was always kind of connected with. And I'm laying in bed thinking, why would I go see? I haven't seen him in six months. And prior to that, the only contact we had 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 been, I was a boss and he was my manager and, and I hadn't even talked to him in that amount of time. So uh, that went on for about an hour. Go see Michael. Go see Michael. Go see him. I'm like, fine. Good God. I'll get up. I'm going to get up and get a shower, drive down to the store he was managing but and walk into the store thinking, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I don't know what this is going to accomplish. But he was standing at the front of the register and looked up and saw me and lit up like a Christmas tree. And uh, we were like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? And connected. And so we connected. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Jim, you can do it. You can do it. Just ask me once to get a drink, just ask him. And I did. And uh, he said four o'clock and I said, oh my God, I thought it was going to be Friday. And, <laughs> and we've been together ever since. And uh, we've been married now for 12 years. Um, and uh, the fortunate, unfortunate piece of that was at the time. And this was again in September, this is 09 in September, in July, we met, we re-met in July. By September, we were pretty well connected and together. Um, the challenge in September came within the end of September, we watched him zero convert because I did not know that because of the cancer that was in my body and because of the chemo and radiation that I had experienced, the HIV that was in my body, which was actually AIDS at that point, was absolutely bonkers. Um, had no idea. My counts were in the millions. It was nuts. Um, and uh, I watched so... Uh, I, I did not know I was positive at the time. I didn't even know that. And uh, so watched him convert, meaning I gave him AIDS at that point. Um, his body, he went into the whole body rash, the whole, we were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, so that was when we discovered that both of us at that point, now now I'm HIV positive, have been for however many years this has been um, with, with to no effect in that regard. Um, <clears throat> so. And then most recently, um, last month was was I went down with uh, COVID pneumonia and was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. But that more to me is about learning what's happening in my body um, because while I don't have any fear of that, you know, like it's it's a virus, it's going to do what it's going to do. If it's my time to go at that time, then it's my time to go at that time. But I feel pretty connected in the sense that I don't think in those terms and and. So I was, this for me has been, I've discovered that there's some challenges with my lungs that I didn't know I had before. Um, so that's giving me an opportunity to explore that. But um, to kind of cycle back just a little bit, because I know I kind of wandered all over the place a little bit. That's good, just leave you the history. <laughs> yeah. Um, the key things in all of those junctures, um, 
what Mona provided for me in the 24 years we were together and, and the absolute blessing of that woman in my life. Um, and, and to, to be fair, all the way around, we remained friends after the divorce. Um, we actually became closer friends, uh, and, and lost all of that crappy energy between each other after the divorce. Um, so we remained friends. She passed away, uh, about two months ago, three months ago. Um, and I was able to be with her and, and, and be there while she transitioned. And, and, um, it was an extraordinary experience. And a very powerful full circle moment because she literally dedicated 24 years of her life to helping me become who I am now. And, um, and, and I got to share that with her. I got to share the successes of that with her. And, and we got to grow together as friends in that way. Um, and it was just extraordinary, uh, extraordinary that someone would commit that much. And so that's sort of what's led me into my life now about understanding this relationship with fear that it serves nothing. Um, you know, it serves absolutely nothing to have, to have a negative relationship in your life with fear, to live in a place where fear drives your experience. Even in the context of this process that I'm living through now, um, it isn't about being afraid. It's about standing in the middle of it and recognizing what it is. Um, I've thought about death frequently. Um, not because I'm afraid to die, but because it's, it's a potential that exists in the experience I'm having, right? So how do you not, how do you not explore that? And what I realized in all of this is that whether it's cancer, whether it's AIDS, whether it's a pneumonia, whatever it is, there's a relationship that you have to build with yourself that helps you to understand that none of it is worth your fear and none of it is worth your draining your energy for fighting against, you know, this, this, this particular process has really driven that home for me because when this virus is something, I, and, and again, I've already shared what I've been through. This virus is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And <clears throat> it's, it's extraordinary to me that it can have such a profound effect because I began to understand a little more deeply even how fear becomes so prevalent in the consciousness because in the depths of this experience, it was very challenging for me to find the thing that I always experience in my own personal spiritual connection. It's very hard to find when the body is in survival mode mm -hmm. because the body needs all of your energy and all of your attention. And it isn't that your energy, it isn't that it's any different, meaning, I don't know, let me say this. It isn't that I wasn't connected to what I believe is my higher self, my God, my what, however you want to look at that. I could feel the support. I just couldn't get there from here. And it was an extraordinary experience because it didn't mean I was disconnected, although sometimes it felt that way. It was more about realizing that the consciousness of this physical body is requiring all of my attention right now and be with that process. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that, and, but that's, what's taken me through every one of these processes is I, I remember clear as a bell sitting in the parking lot at the doctor's office when he told me I had cancer and tears running down my face thinking, Oh my God, I got to call my mom and tell her I have cancer. How the fuck do you do that? You know, <laughs> like that's a but, hard pill to swallow. Oh, but realizing in the moment exactly why I was there, seeing in absolute clarity the choices that I made in the intervening five years, the, all the darkness that Mona and I had gone into, all of the, all of the 
the clouds that we brought into an otherwise really bright and shiny experience contributed to me continuing to dumb down who I was and continued to build this energy of stuff that was not who I am and, or who she was um, and realizing how it just, all of that was sucking the life out of me. And of course, you're going to have something show up, you know, of course, you know, because I come from a world where it doesn't start physically. It starts as a thought. It starts as an idea. It starts as a feeling and it builds momentum because of the attention I put on it. And as it builds more intention because of the intention I put on it, at some point it crosses the non-physical threshold into the physical because the body can't maintain the energy, can't maintain the balance because there's too much density to what I'm trying to negatively pull into my experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't say that as a way of making it about judgment or, or, or look at how bad and wrong I was. This is, this is the mechanism for how you step out of, out of a disease process, how you walk through it without succumbing to it, because you have to recognize where the source of it is. Even this, even this deal with, with the COVID, it's not about blame for the COVID. It's not about, Jim, what did you do wrong? It's about, oh, I got out of balance somewhere and I, I want to understand where that happened in my world. And part of that for me is the understanding that there's something happening in my lungs that I am unconscious, that I'm not consciously aware of because I've never had anything attack my lungs before like this. So even, even in AIDS, I never got the pneumonia. I never had lung problems. So, so now for me, it's a, it's a different exploration. So, oh, okay, now I get to find out what's happening in here so that I can work on healing that and, and make, you know, or, or at least attending to it so that as I continue my life, it continues to, to grow and be as, as fulfilling as I want it to be. Wow. I talked a lot. I hope I didn't go off the road. No, 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 no. The <laughs> different uh, scope of how my, uh, my episode goes, but it's so incredible on how, despite the, the slack of bad news that you've uh, gone through in your life, and especially in the in the physical health of part of it, you, you still moved on. You still ne never let fear to make you wonder how many more years do I have left to live? I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people that says, okay, well now, you know, I have HIV, so that's it. That this is my, uh, you know, I don't know how long I have left, but as you know, that with the, the proper medication, you could ex extend life as long mm -hmm. as, uh, I mean, look at Magic Johnson. Yeah, and, uh, still going strong. Yeah, yeah, still going strong. Exactly. I mean, we never think <clears throat> we never think about him having uh, HIV or anything. But are you full fledged AIDS or or just still HIV? No, no, no. I was. I was when I was diagnosed. Okay. Um, AIDS has to do with the amount of of virus in your system and how your immune system is handling it. At that time, I, I literally had been two months out of chemo and radiation for three months, okay. so I basically didn't have an immune system. I don't think. Um, and, uh, and so the virus just went bonkers, but because I didn't know I was, I was already HIV positive. I didn't even think about it because um, I, I wasn't being affected by it. I happen to be apparently one of those people who carries, but doesn't get, doesn't get, uh, doesn't get taken down by it. Okay. Um, at least, at least that I'm aware of um, <laughs> in any part in my life so far. But do you think is this is what caused the anal cancer or, uh... Well, that's a good question. I, I don't know that anybody's ever made that correlation before. Um, could well be. Uh, hadn't even thought about that. Wow. Because, you that's know, a, yeah. timeline and I'm trying to see, okay, that, that happened because maybe since you were not sick with other kind of 
illnesses such as uh, mm-hmm. pneumonia and all that. So did it, yeah. did it project or did it cause any other, did it trigger any other illnesses in your body that was anal cancer, that was yeah. cells are like acting berserk at that point. So we don't- Yeah, have- it makes total sense. So it's, uh, yeah, I was just like wondering the correlation on how it's just, no, so with- Because uh, yeah, I know that, I know that they the, the doctors were saying at that time, that I'd obviously been infected for a while. Like it wasn't, I wasn't infected for a couple months. I had been infected for a while to have whatever the blood array was that they were looking at said, this dude's been sick for a long time, (laughs) (laughs) or at least has been, has been, has been with virus for a long time. Um, And so we don't know ultimately if that was two years or five years or whatever, um, but again, it was, it was never, it never showed up in, in any kind of classic sense. So the T cells, like I had a pylonidal cyst when I was uh, at one point and, and it was awful. I mean, the pylonidal went on for, that went on for like two years, I think. Well, okay. Um, and we just wrote it off because my dad had had one when he was a young, when he was in the service, like many moons ago. And they had, at that time they went in and cut out the, cut the whole thing out and did that whole thing. Um, so, I mean, it could have been that infectious process there was part of that all along the way. And we just never identified it yes. because I was married to a woman and nobody thought to ask. <laughs> and I didn't, and I didn't think about it either. Um, what did Noelle passed away from? She died. Uh, she actually did have HIV in the end, or she had HIV. She lived with HIV for, for, I guess she probably contracted somewhere along, uh, she did contract somewhere along the way in our marriage. Again, we don't know when or where. Um, she ended up having a brain, to, she ended up having cancer. Um, she got, uh, she got, she remember she was 21 years my senior. So I'm 57 now. So she was 70, whatever. And, um, and she got, she had some cancer. They worked on getting it. They thought they got it. She went back three months later, there was in her brain and then it just pushed and, and okay. um, within short order, she was, she was, oh, she was gone. So how did you now, um, as of today, um, how do you work around your um, insecurities or your, your, now you said about fear that you're not really mm-hmm. much of anything, but is there anything else in your life that you are concerned about? Well, I mean, I have concerns like everybody, you know, I mean, I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not independently wealthy. I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm doing, I'm doing all of the things in life that we all do. I just approach it differently. So I I don't come, part of it is setting a good foundation. That foundation is what is your daily practice? What are you doing on a daily that is getting your energy right with you? Um, Whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, um, I think workouts are good, but I don't think they're meditative enough. Um, so workouts are great for burning physical energy, but after you burn the physical energy, go in and get quiet for a while. Um, find a place to just be with you and your breath. The breath is a huge, huge portion of this because the breath for me is the foundation of everything. Mm-hmm. Breath is chi, breath is prana, breath is life force. So every time you breathe is a moment of creation. Mm-hmm. Every time you breathe, you are enlivening everything in this vessel. Vessel. So learning how to manage your breath consciously is a huge piece of, to me, um, what helps to create this foundation. The foundation of this, once you get into breath and you get into this ability to quiet yourself. And when I say quiet yourself, meditation is about learning how to be with you. It's learning how to sit in a space with yourself comfortably and then be able to let go of the comfort 
to just be, to just hang out without any need for anything either coming or going. That's how I kind of see the process. So when I'm in a meditative state or when I'm working on the, when I'm in breath, I'm just focused in the breath. I'm just focused in the, in the experience of that. And what it creates is a, is a bit of a, not a bit of a, it creates a secondary state, which I call the observer. It's called by many different things, but the observer is a state that allows you to see all of the goings on without being all of the goings on, because ultimately we are not that, you know, uh, and when I say that, we, I, I see us as, as two distinct but blended things. We are a soul. We are an aspect of God, whatever, however you want to look at that. And then there's the consciousness that runs the physical body, which I call the ego. The ego is the thing that's here to keep the body on the planet. That's its only job. The challenge in consciousness is that I think we have diluted or confused the roles in the sense that we've demonized the ego to the point that we think that the ego is this big, bad, wrong thing, when really what's happened is we've given the ego too much power. We've given the ego too much responsibility. It's an eight-year-old. It's an eight-year-old consciousness-wise that's running a body, that's taking care of making sure you're breathing, your heart's beating, and that there's nothing, there's no saber-toothed tigers out here going to eat you <laughs> when you're out the door, right? Yeah. That's its job, its only job. But we want to give it so many other things. It's like it's like having a multi-billion-dollar corporation and handing the keys of it to an eight-year-old and saying, "Go for it. You can do this," mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and then wondering why it all goes crazy. <laughs> so it, it's it, it it's understanding those relationships so that you get that when you feel a feeling, it's just energy moving through you, and you can choose to look at it, you can choose to feel it, or you can choose to indulge it. You can do any of those, and all of them are choices. So that's where the whole idea of fears of choice comes from, is that it, we aren't born afraid. We aren't bored with fear. We didn't come in here being afraid of where we are. We learned it. We learned it from the minute we got into our mother's gut all the way through our lives. And because you learn it, you can unlearn it in the end. Well, you know, I could go on and on with this podcast for hours, <laughs> Jim. Right. Fascinating. But obviously, that is all the time that we have for today's uh, podcast. And I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you, you all enjoy today's episode. And I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season five of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with incredible story, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Lao Tzu once said, the journey of a thousand miles begin with one single step. Most look ahead and are intimidated by the many miles they need to run or walk to reach their destination. They fear the amount of work that is needed to go to where they need to be. They always look around if someone else is walking the same path and constantly feel they're competing. The reality is that regardless of how fast or slow you walk, as long as you keep going, the horizon will always appear getting closer and closer. No matter what, slow and constant pace always win the race. My name is Dr. Dan Emzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.